Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. We all know about that in my life and how hard that's been for me and also my listeners. You guys hear them talking about it on the mailbags. It is hard to manage finances with a partner. Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry, I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now and planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Moolah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's back with money with Gabby Dunn. Hello, I'm Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money. So... Obviously, people have been donating a lot more than they probably usually do. Um, And that's great. Some stuff has come up, though, about uh, where the money is actually going or who is actually backing certain organizations or efforts. Um, In case you don't remember what's happening right now, I always say in case uh, you're listening to this in 2050, uh, we're recording this on June 16th. And uh, we are in the middle of a pandemic with um, COVID-19. And also we are in the middle of a movement uh, to defund slash abolish the police, to uh, end mass incarceration, to uh, work with Black Lives Matter and stop the police from being racist and move around money in city budgets so that there's more stuff for uh, mental health and you know, parks and libraries. Uh, So there's like a huge social movement going on. People are protesting in the streets. It's going hard. There's a lot of people that have been doing this work for a lot longer. Uh, And then there's certain people who kind of hopped on the train uh, in the last couple weeks or at least in the last like three weeks. So a lot of people are taking to the streets, getting involved in organizing. Um, A lot of people who have been organizing are like feeling momentum Uh, And then a lot of people are trying to figure out where to put their money, uh, where they want to donate, you know, anywhere from $5 to $500 to $500,000. 
Um, I don't know any of those people who donate $500,000, but um, good for them. So, okay, so how do you make the most impact with your money when you donate? So we wanted to talk to Chloe Coburn, who is the program officer for criminal justice reform for Open Philanthropy. And basically her job is to uh, figure out what are the best places for people to donate to. Um, She also has a long history of working in criminal justice reform and working specifically in ending mass incarceration. Uh, And so she actually did this amazing Twitter thread where she uh, gave a bunch of examples of places you should donate to to make the most of your money. And then that ended up becoming this Vox article, which is how we found her, uh, all about like where you should donate if you're interested in um, helping elect politicians who uh, or elect uh, district attorneys who align with your values. Uh, If you're interested in helping with Black Lives Matter, if you're interested in helping with journalism, which is currently under attack. uh, And I take that very personally because this show is quote unquote journalism, but also because a lot of my friends are journalists and uh, one in particular was hit with a rubber bullet and that's not okay. So I wanted to get a sense of where are the best places to donate. Also, I've personally been donating a lot to GoFundMes and I've been donating a lot to individual people through Cash App because I remain a little skeptical of organizations. Wow, Gabby, paranoid? Who could have predicted? Um, So we're going to talk to Chloe Coburn, who knows a lot more than me. So uh, thank you for doing this. Can you tell our audience who you are and what you do? Sure. My name's Chloe Coburn. I am a program officer with Open Philanthropy. And can you talk about your your background? Because I was reading, like, it's obviously very fascinating. So can you, like, start sort of what your career was before this a little bit and then how you got into this? I'm a lawyer by training. And ever since I started law school back in 2004, I became really interested in this topic of over-incarceration, mass incarceration, and prisons and jails. And from then, I just um, got into it and stuck with it. So that's uh, 16 years ago now <laughs> that I've been doing <laughs> this work. And I have done, I, I, in summers in law school, I work with public defender's offices. I've also worked with the Vera Institute of Justice. That got me into some policy work. I've done some civil rights litigation. I work with ACLU's national office on their then called, it doesn't have this name anymore, the Campaign to End Mass Incarceration. Um, supporting ACLU affiliates around the country. Uh, Back in 2012, when I started, you know, this was still kind of a new up and coming topic. And a lot of people didn't really know how to think about it. What is the difference between prison and jail? What, you know, Mm -hmm. how did these laws work? And so that was my job to kind of help them wrap their heads around it and try and, you know, try to pass some good laws and um, have some good testimony and stuff. But a lot has changed since then in a good direction. Yeah. So what's the situation with mass incarceration now? (laughs) <laughs> That's a really big topic, the yeah, situation yeah, yeah. about which many uh, amazing books have been written and articles and numerous podcasts and so on. Um, I mean, the overarching stats, you know, are they're roughly, it fluctuates, but let's say 2.2-ish million people in jail and prison on a given day in the U.S. That would be federal prison a little bit, not a little, but smaller than most of the People in prison are in prison as a result of state convictions and then um, hundreds of thousands of people in jail on a given day um, and they fluctuate much more. So it might be, let's say, 600,000 on a given day, but it'll be millions over the course of a year because people are staying um, shorter periods of time. Um, It wildly disproportionately impacts people of color and particularly black people. But I'd also say, you know, poor people across the board are being drawn into this. Um, And contrary to what people think, you know, who's in prison? Who do you think of? Like, who's got a conviction for a felony? What is that about? People think of the most, very most serious crimes. And those are actually a kind of a small proportion. Um, They matter a lot, of course. Those are important um, things to be paying attention to. But the vast majority of people in jail and prison are not in for the rapes and the murders. Um, There's a whole range of other things. And a lot of what's being talked about right now, of course, is, well, why are we using the criminal justice system for what actually are problems of homelessness, problems of drug addiction, problems of mental health, problems of, you know, um, kids misbehaving in school. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we can get into get into more of that later. But it's a it's a system that has um, a system of systems, really. It's not just one thing. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of variation by locality. It's grown hugely large. Um, It's 
devastated the lives of millions of people. And that fact is catching more and more attention, which is helping to propel the sort of momentum, both of this particular moment and also more broadly, people saying we've got to do things differently. And we can. Yeah. I mean, it's also uh, like a it's a hard it's like a cycle that they don't really like help you get out of. And uh, it's a thing that we jump to for any and all like minor crimes. Yes, it's a, any problem. Uh, what's that phrase? If if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. That yeah. applies a lot to this situation, particularly in under-resourced communities. People say, you know, for example, um, there's been divestment from poor communities. Actually, there's a lot of investment, except the investment is in the form of law enforcement, prisons, and jails, totally. and very little in the way of other things. So billions of dollars are being spent in communities around the country just on this particularly harmful kind of intervention, which isn't doing, you know, isn't keeping people safe, particularly when you ask people in communities, especially ones who are raising their voices now, they say, we don't actually want this kind of Mm -hmm. government intervention. We would like money for our schools, please, and housing and other sorts of uh, social and health supports. And also like private prisons are making a ton of money off of this whole thing. Yeah, private prisons are definitely a thing. It's a they're small proportion of the overall um, number of incarcerated people. Last I checked, this could be out of date, 10%. Um, so it's a real thing. And they also can be a kind of valve, you know, if a state prison system is overcrowded and they like can't afford to build a new prison instead of being forced to reduce, they might kind of offload people to private facilities. So it matters. Um, but you could take away every private facility in the country and still have a very big problem. So we wanted to to talk to you about, um, you know, obviously donations have ballooned right now uh, and people, you know, are are looking for where to give and, and how to help. Um, like what role does money play in sort of like movements of criminal justice reform or, you know, the defunding the police or all of that kind of stuff? Yeah. So money is, you know, I like to say that. um you can't make a you can't buy a movement. I think as Bloomberg showed us quite clearly recently, you could have all the <laughs> money in the world and you can't just pay for people to care about something. But if people care about something and they want to build things around it, money really helps. I mean, it, there's there's questions of paying for staff, there's also tactics, you know, if you whether you're printing things or building websites or paying for people to move around, there's all sorts of things that money could pay for that can make um Uh, the work go better can really build infrastructure, you know, over time. And that's what I've been working on for the past five years in this job is um, helping donors to invest millions and millions of dollars into some really fantastic leaders, particularly directly impacted leaders, whether formerly incarcerated or their families are affected by incarceration, to build the infrastructure that they need to take this on. And then in the moment, you know, money can pay for a lot of important things like bail, for example, is the most obvious one that's Um, caught people's attention. Yeah. I mean, I think people are donating and they're not sure like what the money is going towards. They're just kind of like, oh, I just I want to help. And I and I don't know how. Like what what are the you know, what are the first steps that listeners who are supporting Black Lives Matter and, and the related movements like what steps should they take before they decide where to donate and and what to give? Great question. And I realize that it's, I mean, it's just fantastic that so many people are jumping in right now and really care. And then it must be um, comp- kind of overwhelming. I mean, how do I get into this? Who do I give to? How do I know what to give to? And then in that situation, people might, you know, give to the quote, Red Cross of criminal justice, whatever pops into their head <laughs> as a kind of legacy organization um, doing some kind of work. And I'd say a couple of things. First of all, you know, there's different types of strategies in motion that together form an ecosystem of work. So there's things like super local organizing, national organizing, um, journalism, uh, technical mm-hmm. assistance, narrative, policy work, these different types of things. And so when looking at an organization and saying, should I give it my money? You'd want to think, well, first, oh, well, what are its values and do they align with mine? That's super important. But then also, you know, how big are they and do they need my $10 or whatever it is that you want to give? And then what is the like thing that they're doing in the world? How are they um, trying to be helpful? And is that the thing that I think um, 
is most needed or seems to be resonating with me. So for example, if you see um, demonstrations in the streets and protest actions and you think that's great, you might want to then like give money to groups that do that sort of thing rather than giving money to a different kind of group. Mm-hmm. So it's challenging because um, there's no like simple formula. I could say anywhere in the US, do this and you're good because so much of the work is local and it really kind of depends on where you are. So if you're in Los Angeles, Justice LA is a great place to give. If you're in Boston, Families for Justice as Healing is a great place to give. If you're in New Orleans, Voice of the Experience and so on. So I did this whole Twitter thread of a bunch of groups that I've worked with, um, which you could look up. My Twitter is at Chloe Coburn. Um, And so there are particular things we might know about, but we want the person in, you know, Wyoming and Tennessee and all over the place to not just give to groups elsewhere, but to look really locally and like who is operating where I am. And then how do you find them, of course, is a challenging question. And I think, you know, for people who really want to help right now and can take a little bit of extra time, it's just worth doing some research and looking at like who is showing up whether in my sort of local Facebook groups or Twitter, um, who are uh, Black-led organizing groups, particularly led by youth of color, that's kind of a good slice to take. If there's any youth of color, or particularly Black youth-run um, organizing groups, you're probably in a good spot. Um, mm-hmm. to organizing, for example, to get police out of the local school system, that's probably a mm-hmm. good place to look. Um, but it's not going to be true in literally every place. Um, So I think it's sort of look locally, do a bit of research. My Twitter thread could be helpful. There's other sorts of things out there. Um, But I wanted to add a little bit more on how to sort of think about this general question, um, which is that um, uh, in addition to giving, when you're sort of in the moment thinking, wow, this issue is really important to me, whatever people are thinking. I haven't, can't believe I haven't paid attention to it before. I really am so moved to act. I would advise a couple of things. First, if you can find a couple of people that you trust and relate to well, to form a pod, to form a set, a group, like a little, like we're going to talk to each other at whatever pace and hold each other accountable and share what we're learning and thinking about and kind of just, you know, form a little team together. Could be two people, could be 20 people, you know, it sort of depends. And maybe people are already in groups, whether they be alumni networks or church groups or dog walking groups or school parent groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To say like, let's get together and talk about this. And that there are um, three things you would then in your group or just by yourself, if you don't want to or can't form a group to take an inventory of money. What do I have? Do I have money? Do I have skills? Do I have relationships? And so you can say, okay, what money do we have and are we willing to give? Let's do some research and learning and figure out where to put it. And don't overthink it. It's going to be fine. And then what skills do we have? Do we want to offer anything? And then what relationships do we have? Because one might, you could say, I gave money. Great, I'm done. Or you could Mm -hmm. also say, well, my parents, my neighbors, my other people that I know, could I share with them some of what I've learned and figure out how to get them engaged as well in giving and in learning? Um, And then when you're trying to figure out, again, to where are we giving these things, our money, skills, and relationships, that's, again, where the research comes in. And ideally, there's at least some portion of what you're doing that is local because we need, Mm -hmm. you know, this very close to the ground activity all over the country. And the last thing I'll say on that, I mean, there's more to say, but the last comment I'll make right now is that I think a lot of people think that like the action is like over there and how could they get to it or help it or work for it or give to it. Really, with this issue and probably with every issue, the action is like right here. Like Mm -hmm. your conversations with your family members and your neighbors, your expressions and your social media channels matter a lot because they send out these signals of like, how are we, the local we, whatever is in the we, thinking about this? Do we care about this? What is our opinion on this? Like there's so much that can be done through this sort of relational activism, I guess you could Mm -hmm. say. And so I've advised people in the past, you know, some uh, uh, minister wrote to me from Cape Cod and he's like, is there a group I can join? I said, well, you're a minister and kind of a small community. like." 
are there other ministers? You know, you could get together and like form a group. And he said, oh yeah, I know some ministers and we could look some <laughs> up the local judges races and maybe talk to people about them. And I said, that is awesome. Go for it. Like doing things where you are is exactly what needs to happen because there are not enough professional staff for organizations in our vast country to kind of like staff the movement. Yeah, I mean, that's all like, especially for people who are just thinking about this now and like realizing, you know, I think after Trump sort of like 2016, everyone was like, oh my God, okay, you got to get local. But no one really like grasped that, I think, in the way that they're grasping it now, uh, or at least like in a mass way. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think like when stuff is overwhelming, you know, there's probably a Black Lives Matter group in your very city. There's probably if you think that something's a problem, there's probably other people in your city that think that that's a problem. That's right. Um, I I was wondering, like, OK, so basically there's this whole thing going on on Twitter right now about the the Minnesota Freedom Fund. And like and like how these groups who were were small, they get a little bit of viral press and then they they go huge and then they end up getting so much money at once. Um, and then, you know, people are asking for like, well, what impact did it have? You know, how can we tell where money is going? What are some examples? And then other people are sort of like, give them a second. Like what what you know, what sort of happens when this these little groups are like inundated? Well, first of all, I'd echo that give them a second piece. Oh, I mean, yeah, me too. Two and a half weeks ago, we weren't this thing didn't even exist yet. And now there are groups that have received tens of millions of dollars. And that is a lot, a lot to take on just emotionally. It's like winning the lottery, the movement lottery. Yeah. You know, like every mm -hmm. cousin Larry and everyone else is coming at you saying, oh, what about my piece? And then no, I'm not to suggest that the calls for transparency are only about that, but it's a, ton, a huge amount of pressure. People are really having to hold a lot in this moment. So give them a second. The second thing I'd say about bail funds is that luckily, um, so Minnesota um, Fund is part of a network of bail funds with many other mm -hmm. funds around the country. Mm -hmm. So there's infrastructure there and they are all talking to each other about this issue because some bail funds have gotten a windfall and some have not. Right. And the, I'll also say that, by the way, the bails being charged to people are not like, you know, people talk about bail. Sometimes it's $500 and you're stuck in jail for 500. That is true. Other times it's $150,000 because mm -hmm. people are being hit with kind of extreme charges, in many cases, I dare say unjustified, but that's how sure. the sort of system works to pressure people into taking a plea or to stepping back, stepping down. And so these are not small amounts of money that are required in order to bail people out. So remember that hundreds of thousands of dollars in many cases. But anyways, the bail funds are all talking to each other. And these bail funds in the National Bail Fund Network are not interested in existing in perpetuity instead of you know continuing the system. They exist to um, become obsolete, and they sort of hold that value. And so, um, money, you know, they're talking about um, um, regranting to local organizing. They're talking about um, getting money to other bail funds around the country so it could be more evenly distributed. You know, there are, this is a convert, it's not all going to sit, you know, in this one place with this set of volunteers saying, oh my gosh, you know, we have this incredible windfall. So thankfully the infrastructure exists with respect to that particular organization. Now they would also be the first to say, we don't need more money right now. By all uh -huh. means, give your cash to other great local organizing groups. We salute you for doing that. But I think, um, unlike perhaps in another scenario, if we were in a world without the National Bail Fund Network, um, where this one kind of quote unquote random group suddenly gets this windfall that might be more difficult for all involved, including the people running the organization who would be trying to figure out like, how are we supposed to handle this tremendous responsibility after running on adrenaline for days and days on end and no sleep and so on. That is, that is a lot. So I think, you know, people um, should take a breath and like, give each other a break. And there's a lot of people right now who are really intent on seeing things change in some really bold ways, which is mm -hmm. the most important thing and really exciting. And it won't be perfect, but I think that resources are going to be able to shift around to where they need to go. Okay, we need to take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back. I know there was a lot of stuff with 
Um, my uh, like eight can't wait, and I you don't have to speak on certain things, but like, so how do you find out like who's behind certain organizations, or how do you get to the bottom of? I've seen a lot of people like get to the bottom of you know when you're choosing who you want to recommend. Do you sort of like how do you deep dive into like who's behind any particular philanthropic effort? I um um as I said, I've been doing this work for five years. And so in that, I'm blessed to have a lot of deep relationships with Mm -hmm. people across the field, including movement leaders. So at Open Philanthropy, we have dozens of grantees. So I know a lot of information about these groups because we funded them. I've done the diligence over time. I've worked with them. And that's part of why I can feel comfortable vouching for them. There's a couple groups on there that... um, we haven't funded, but they were heavily recommended by people who I deeply trust because they are in similar positions to me in long-term relationship, really have had the chance to see the group and, and know what they're doing. So we're in a very kind of easy position right now in terms of, you know, people, you know, who have occupied ourselves with direct trying to direct resources to this type of work. We know a lot of stuff to work from. So um, for people just trying to dig a little bit there are certain people to perhaps follow on Twitter who, at least my judgment would be, um, that they're excellent, although that also still requires some knowledge. Like if you're really starting from zero, I think you just got to like follow your nose and, and hopefully a lot of the time it'll lead you into the right place. Um, I think that, you know, I would generally be going for sending money to people who are directly impacted by the issue. Um, instead of people working on behalf of someone else, though that's not always true. You know, seeing how long people have been in the community, have they had any other type of presence beside this one institution? Are there people who speak well of them and so on? These are just kind of obvious things Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to figure it out. But I can say that with the groups that we've recommended, um, I know enough about them to not claim that they're going to win everything, but mm-hmm. that they are real efforts that have real gaps in money that are going to do good things with those dollars. Yeah. Okay. So some people, and I've been doing this a lot, uh, prefer donating directly to individuals. So I've been doing a lot of go like GoFundMe's or Cash App, truly, like because I I have an audience. So a lot of times, if I just am like, hey, I have some money, like who wants it, basically, and then my I I will go through their Twitter and be like, are you a real person? Um, because and it's because I'm worried about the the lack of transparency behind organizations and like is that you know. If I give $25 to this person on Cash App, I know that they're going to go get groceries uh, uh, if I look through and I'm like, OK, you're a real person. But like, what's your opinion on on that, you know, level of comfort with that more so or it has its own risks, too? Yeah, I think it has its own risks. I think it's good for people to um, give money away. I think that is a good thing. And I think getting too precious with it and needing like 18 research reports to know something is good is, you know, probably not the right thing most of the time. I mean, if you're giving away a billion dollars, literally, you probably want to like know a lot about something. (laughs) But if you're giving away less, and even when you are giving away a lot, there's this sense of like, you know, I mean, the distribution of wealth in our society is not um, based on some, you know, fair and equitable system, as you know, it Mm -hmm. has a lot of history. And so I think particularly in these moments, one might say, you know, Let's think, let's come from a place of mutual aid and support and interdependence. Let's understand that people are imperfect. And um, I could just give this away the same way, you know, I think that personally, and this is my own personal decision, um, I'll give away like five, 10 or $20 to a person who is homeless. Um, right. And yeah, maybe I don't know what they're going to spend that money on. And frankly, that's kind of not it's my not business, your business in a weird way. I right? think that too. I think that too. I'm like, it's none of my business, which right. is kind of the thing with like food stamps where they're like, well, you they have to only buy vegetables. And I'm like, truly, it's none of your business what they buy. Yeah. You know, people should be able to, to eat things and, mm-hmm. you know, be able to pay for things. I will say um, one way to kind of bridge a little bit these concepts of individual and organization is to look at the mutual aid networks, particularly ones that have sprung up um, under COVID. Remember that pandemic that we're still in? (laughs) Um, So last month. But, 
Uh, there's a lot around the country and there's different lists of them, but there's one uh, website called mutualaidhub.org, O-R-G, where you can find ones. And these are sort of community created, created by individuals coming together saying, let's make sure people in our, our community get, can get fed and maybe some emergency rent support and other sorts of needs. So that's a way to like get specific individual stuff they need in a context where there's perhaps some amount of relational accountability, if that's of mm -hmm. interest. I also think that mutual aid is a really important and exciting thing for people to be investing themselves in in this time because it has the traits and components of the type of world that, at least in my belief, is the world that um, doesn't have prisons in it. It comes from a place of interdependence, of relationship, of knowing your neighbors. Hey, there's a ruckus down the hall. Let's call my neighbor instead of calling the police. Like, right. this is a different way to be that um, mutual aid um, practice can bring one into. So I think that's really positive. I'll give one more plug for a thing called mutual aid and restorative justice, which mm -hmm. is an effort that's come out of the Bay Area in the past month um, that's providing not only um, groceries and things, but also connecting people together for literally like mutual psychological support, checking in on each other. Are you okay? And those types of bonds and relationships with strangers are the sorts of things that like can make people feel bought into communities that they're a part of and I think leads to a safer community. Yeah, I mean, I think there was that, you know, there was that whole thing going on, uh, like, oh, we're going to, you know, abolish the police, we're going to abolish prisons. And then like the, the some commentator or Trump himself, I can't even keep track, was like, well, suburban white women are going to be so scared of this or whatever. Um, and like you and I are both white ladies. Uh, and it's like, I mean, you know, you talk about like, you know, abolishing all this stuff. Like, I think people are over overwhelmed by that idea even though like in even though it makes like so much sense to just like be more community and local even on this show we talk about like you know the individual like feeling bad because of their money situation when like in a lot of other communities you would just be like i need 20 bucks <laughs> or like you know your neighbors or you know like i i moved into echo park which is a, a largely latinx neighborhood and like they all know each other cuz they've lived there forever and i'm a bad gentrifier um and so like i think the the focus on getting more involved and also like being more connected to the people around rather than like fearful, which I think we've been taught to be really like fearful of of our neighbors and and of like, I don't know. I don't know. I just I just like think that like, you know, I had it took a while. My parents are very leftist, but like it took a second for my mom to be like, no prisons. And it's like, what are you thinking of when you think of prison? You're thinking of Ted Bundy. Like, what are you thinking of? And, and I there, think that's the thing. There's a long sort of um, abolitionist literature tradition. Yes. Books like Our Prisons Obsolete by Angela Davis. Um, and I mean, many, too many to mention. Uh, but if you look up abolitionist reading list online, you will get mm -hmm. many, 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 many suggestions. And the the basic bottom line of all of that work is to say, we need to create a world where, um, and we can, mm -hmm. because they literally are doing it in Europe, create a world where you don't, quote, need prisons. Um, there was recently an op-ed in the New York Times. By yes, Marian I was about Kaba. to bring that up. Mm -hmm. Well, Marion Kaba and Michelle Alexander both had fantastic op-eds, and they kind of walk through and explain this stuff in a way I think that you can get with it, even if it's not the place where you were first coming from. So, yeah, those mm -hmm. are really good reading. Okay, it's time for one last break, and then we'll be right back. And we're back. What are some of the other, like, top issues that people can donate to? Top issues like where to send money to help on yeah. criminal justice? Um, uh, yeah, or, you know, I think, like, your the Vox piece sort of split stuff up into you know, like uh, Black Lives Matter. And then also there was a segment of, you know, movement building. And then there was a segment of restorative justice. And then, you know, I, I'm very, uh, 
And then elections was one. And I'm also very uh, interested in supporting journalists who are being like targeted, you know, in, in all of this. That's my like kind of number one sitch. Yeah, again, there's a big ecosystem of work and there are lots of places one could dig in. So you feeling affinity for the journalistic community is a great place to focus. And people, when they're thinking, well, how do I engage? Figuring out, well, where does one fit personally and making a connection through that is good because you want ideally to form some kind of lasting relationship with the issue and have an interest ongoing instead of giving Mm -hmm. the like one and done disaster SOS money, which is good. It's helpful. We need it. Uh, this system is not going to be broken down in a day, uh, notwithstanding mm-hmm. the like clock is ticking, you know, um, comments from people about certain groups that have gotten a lot of money as we were talking about. Right. So figuring out ways that kind of connect to oneself somehow, I think is a good thing. I generally um, approach this sort of movement strategy question from a perspective of movement ecology. I wrote an article about basically what I had learned from some other social movement theorists um, called, it's in the Stanford Social Innovation Review, and it's called like funders need to resource an ecosystem of change or something like Mm -hmm. that, where I kind of break down this basic, basically a wheel where you could think of any social movement having um, five basic components. One is um, personal transformation. Um, people have to go through some process to come to a place of being part of the movement. You could um, invest in your own transformation and the transformation of others. Mm-hmm. There's alternatives, building the future and building systems that are not are just going to work really differently from the way that whatever it is you don't like. There's uh, mass protest, which we're seeing now um, live and in color about how that has uh, had such an incredibly quick impact on mm-hmm. what electeds are willing to consider and prioritize. There's structure-based organizing, that's like community organizing, labor organizing, all kinds of organizing. And then inside game, who are like electeds, elections, you know, inside mm-hmm. game advocacy to kind of get at the people at the top. And then um, there are, you know, lots of different types of work around the ecosystem that can be used to propel, you know, support things, um, Um, when there's less attention and then also support things when there's a ton of attention. So on top of the movement ecology, there's this, there's this concept too of movement seasons. So Mm -hmm. uh, we're in a summer right now of this movement. It's really hot, tons of attention, dominoes falling left and right. Next will come fall. It will cool off. It always does. It will come fall. There will be a harvest perhaps hopefully of some major policy shifts. Then a movement goes into winter. Things are quiet. Can't make anything happen bit drained. Winter's a good time actually though to rest, to train, mm-hmm. to kind of plan what the next spring and summer are going to be about. And then hopefully you go into a spring, new things forming, mm-hmm. and then another summer. So this work has been in a springtime, you know, for several years, like since I started, it's been kind of a long, slow spring. And that's and that's been coming closer and closer to the summer. And we've been taught to, you know, want to live an endless summer in our society. Um, always hot, always super productive, always on. This is not a healthy way to be, of course. It burns out Mm -hmm. individuals, organizations, and movements, and it's not how the natural world works. But if we can foresee like, okay, it's summer, let's get what we can get, then it's gonna be fall, then it'll be winter, plan the next wave. You can kind of put yourself like along a timeline, a rhythm, and um, see things around you in relation to that, and then see how the different parts of the movement ecosystem are going to function at these different times, mm-hmm. where, of course, in summer, mass protest is the biggest thing. I've just dumped, like, a whole bunch no, of so- no, no. social movement theory on you in, like, three minutes, and I know it's no, kind of no, a lot. No, no, no. I totally get it, because I think, like, uh, people are worried about, like, support dying off, and, you know, um, I think there's like something to the idea of, oh, I just got here to activism. I'll be here for a month. I'm gone. Like there's no reoccurring payments or whatever. Um, And I think that's like a a real concern for people who have been doing this for forever. You know, it's like you've, you, I mean, like it's this thing of you have like a hot hit single or something. And then everybody's like, they came out of nowhere. And like the, the person's been grinding for years. Um, 
Right. So I get it. I don't know what the great music analogy will be, but there are, of course, bands who are managed to stick around and produce different albums over Uh time, representing their different stages of progress. And there's like, make the album, you don't hear from them, then there's Go Hot. mm -hmm. And that is okay. You can't run around like crazy in the streets every single day forever. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you just, you would drop. Like you, this is not a sustainable thing. Um, I mean, it's fantastic that it's going on. The fact that it's gone on for as long as it has is quite tremendous and that it still seems to be growing in certain places, including in teeny tiny towns where literally nothing else has ever happened. Right. Hundreds of people gathering about protesting. Yeah. Really, you know, expressing and this is I'm just, you know, a regular person here. This is not my expertise, but it seems like a kind of a deep passionate desire for some kind of reckoning here some kind this of is the, the moment shift. they're like we can tip it and i think like we really can and so the people that have money you can help totally there are really good ways to help with money i like what you said about the sustaining contributions you know i've seen people mm-hmm. also do like five dollars a month you know sustaining yeah, it doesn't have to be course. gazillions of dollars but for an organization to know that they can count on your dollars is really important and helpful for planning particularly after this really hot season um and to prepare for the next um and i also you know you mentioned elections but i just have to make a plug for dollar for dollar one of the very best things you can do is give to transformative candidates because um they can do so much once mm-hmm. they're in, for example, a district attorney's office, a prosecutor's office, mm-hmm. that particular position holds unbelievable amounts of power, unreviewable discretion. You could, you know, they, they don't have to charge anyone. Um, right. And they <laughs> make decisions about where to charge. Mm-hmm. So, for example, there is more wealth stolen every year um, in this country by wage theft than yep. by all the other crimes of theft combined. But we don't like think about it. That's a decision a prosecutor could make. Where am I going to focus my time, attention, and resources? How am I communicating to this, um, to my jurisdiction about what our safety priorities are? Mm-hmm. And putting a different person in office can be transformational. Not just them alone. We need the organizing. We need the narrative. We need all these pieces. But if you're like, how do I stretch my dollars the most? Um, that's one of the very best things uh, that you can do. And then the next obvious question is, well, how do I know which candidates are good? Mm-hmm. Over time, this is changing where more and more people are paying attention and becoming aware and taking notice. I'll sort of share without comment that Bernie Sanders did an endorsements of multiple different district attorney candidates um, mm-hmm. who I know some of those candidates uh, records and the they are definitely taking a strong reform position. So mm-hmm. that's can be a good thing to look at. Um, and then the last thing on elections too, it's not just giving to candidates, but one of those things you can do in your pod when you're like, okay, we gave our money, how else do we help? Is by um, looking in your local jurisdiction. Well, is anyone talking about the DA, the sheriff, the judges? Mm-hmm. Who are these people? Like, are any of them running for office? What's been their record? This is kind of a lot of grunt work to figure out. And there yeah. isn't necessarily a group where you are that's already figuring it out and like putting it on a piece of paper for people. That's really productive work that people can do together is to kind of figure that out and then share it with their networks. That's amazing. Um I want to ask, how often do you work with billionaires? I do work with a lot of billionaires. I mean, the fact that I know even a billionaire is kind of quite striking. That's yeah. not how you expect to live your life. I know more than one. Um, and I try to be supportive as much as I can to help them invest in things that are going to be really impactful on this issue. Yeah. I mean, I, do you think there's like a – it's hard to pathologize, but like a, a – I like I feel like if I was a billionaire, I would just be like, I don't know, take all my money. I'm I don't know what to I don't why do I need this? (laughs) Like, (laughs) here you go. Like, I'm very fascinated by, you know, like the Jeff Bezos's of the world or people who are just sort of like, no, I keep it. (laughs) Like, why? I mean, I think people with wealth are all different from each other the way all people are different from each other. So, yeah, you're going to find people with different motivations and different, um, politics and different models of how the world Mm -hmm. works and how to make change. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I cannot speak for any particular individuals, but I think it can also be 
overwhelming the responsibility. I could do so much, which things? I mean, it's a big world. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna try to cure malaria like Gates is trying mm -hmm. to do? Are you going to, you know, house, you could house every person and a whole thing. You could do so many things. So which thing is the most important and how will you figure it out? And mm -hmm. with any amount of money that someone's giving away, you know, people can get kind of caught up in all of these questions. You wanna be thoughtful and mindful, but you don't wanna like not act. Um, right. And sometimes perhaps it's the case that with the more money that people have accumulated, the harder it seems to actually kind of act boldly and give at a level proportionate to the amount that you have. It right. is it is hard to give away money extremely well, I'd say, like finding things that are absolutely flan, fan flipping tastic to give to. Um, sometimes I'd say it's also appropriate perhaps to give away to things that are like pretty okay, you know, like mm -hmm. instead of being mm -hmm. the most perfect, amazing, um, or things that you're not so sure about yet. And that's just decisions that different funders, um, will make differently. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I take your point and I think, um, the individuals I've met are all just very, very different in how they approach this stuff. Um, uh, and, and trying to think about how to use their power responsibly and wisely and all of the rest. Yeah. I'd also say, forgive me, but there's a number of, many of them that I work with strongly support things like a wealth tax. Um, and yeah. So yeah, they're not. I'm like, <sighs> give it away. <laughs> right. Structural reforms that would make it less likely for a handful of people to be deciding how, oh, what gets totally. to happen in society do have their fans amongst the very wealthiest people. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate like all of this. I think like people are overwhelmed with what to do and it's kind of, you know, it must be interesting to be like all of a sudden this is like what everyone wants. It's it's like wild. I mean, for many people, this is a really um, overwhelmingly sad and difficult time because they're looking at things that perhaps they haven't noticed before or haven't been forced to confront. Mm -hmm. For many people that I work with and even myself, it's a very exciting time because we worry about these things all the time. It's been sad and bad for a long time. And in fact, right. a month ago with COVID, people, you know, prison and jail is a very, very bad place to be within a time yes. of a pandemic. And the way that governors and other sorts of electeds were not responding, were refusing to let people out was like crazy making. Like, why yes. can people not pay attention to this? This is literally life and death. And then to have the rest of the world sort of show up and say, we also care about this is really um, exciting. And then, mm -hmm. of course, also overwhelming because you've got to like, receive, try to absorb as much as right. you can of the money and the attention and get people kind of connected in so they can do the work. But this is also why I think these pods are so important. The more people can take some amount of agency to get together with other people, learn, grow, give, mm -hmm. contribute together, that is so necessary because the, the field of people who like do this all day every day isn't right. actually big enough to receive 100 million new people. Right, right, right on a dime. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And we'll put links to, to all your Twitter thread and the Vox article and, and everything in the description. Thank you so much. I really You're appreciate welcome. it. Thanks for taking the time. I really liked the part where we talked about giving money to a homeless person and not being concerned about what they're using it for. I think that obviously you need to make sure that the organization is legit and obviously you need to make sure that um, your money is is going to go towards something you believe in. But I also think that maybe there's a little bit too much pressure on like, you need. I gave you this money, so you need to spend it the way I say, which I don't love. I also think that it is important if you feel overwhelmed about where to give to like have these sort of resources and understand like what is going to be the most impactful for me personally, I think helping with journalistic freedom and journalism unions. And then also um, I'm very interested in like electing district attorneys uh, who are not going to prosecute uh, black people at higher rates, which sounds so obvious <laughs> when I say it out loud. Um, I'm also very interested in uh, reforming jails. So these are things that I would look into. And, you know, I hope that this moment is something where we're not going to lose steam on it and we're not going to just like donate once and then forget about. 
And I also like, you know, I, I feel for these activists that have been doing this work for forever and all of a sudden it's got a huge spotlight on it. And I also understand the excitement and the happiness of like, oh my God, finally people care. And I just don't want it to die out. I want, I, I understand what Chloe was saying about summer, spring, fall, winter. Um, but I just, I just want, I just don't want you to think that donating once is all you need to do. And yes, it is important to make a lot of impact with your money. And even if you can give $5, amazing. Um, but also like a lot of the work is free. A lot of the work that you can do to help is free. Uh, and also if you're a billionaire, just give your money away. Thanks for listening. If you love this show, please tell all your friends about it. Make sure you're subscribed to our show on Stitcher or wherever you find your podcasts. This show is produced by Tamika Weatherspoon. Our audio engineer is Brendan Burns and our audio is mixed by Andy Christens. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Josephine Martirana. Original music is composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan, and Jack Dolgen. Our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera. Bad With Money is a production of Stitcher. I'm Gabby Dunn, and I will see you next week. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.